Cinema Silo, a podcast where three sisters recreate the post-movie theater experience. I'm Annie. I'm Frankie. And I'm Jessie. We're kicking off a series where each one of us picks a movie around the theme of sisters. Today, we're talking about the 1992 classic, A League of Their Own. Directed by Penny Marshall, A League of Their Own is a baseball movie. It's a women's history movie. It's a comedy. But most importantly, it's a story of sisterly love and rivalry. Inspired by, and even featuring, some of the real women who played in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League to meet the demand for baseball on the home front while MLB players fought overseas in World War II, the film opens on an elderly Dottie Henson in 1992, heading to a reunion for the opening of an exhibit at the National Baseball Hall of Fame as she reminisces about the league's inaugural season. Back in 1943, effortlessly talented Dottie, played by Gina Davis, patiently awaits her husband's return from war, while her scrappy younger sister Kit, played by Lori Petty, dreams of escaping their small Oregon town and playing baseball. The sisters both join the Rockford Peaches, befriend teammates like Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell, and warm the heart of their washed-up manager, Tom Hanks. Kit struggles to grow out of her sister's shadow, as Dottie's talents make her a star, even though Dottie's priorities aren't exactly on the baseball diamond. This is two of my favorite things ever. Sisters and baseball. (laughs) Really? Those are your two favorite things ever? (laughs) I'm allowed to have lots of favorites. I think the thing is, all three of us love each other and baseball. Fair? Can I say that? (laughs) Yes, and you know... I think we especially love baseball movies, right? Yeah. There's something about a baseball movie that just, you know, even more than the sport in some ways, evokes summer, right? Evokes family and friends and grilling out and just those innocent memories. Maybe I'm just thinking of The Sandlot. (laughs) (laughs) I like baseball. I feel like you two appreciate the sport more than I do. (laughs) I like it. I like the experience of going to a baseball game, Mm. and I love watching a baseball movie. Yeah, we love all sorts of baseball movies, but a baseball movie about women takes the cake for me. Yes. Yep. I mean, there's so much going on with this movie, right? It's baseball. It's wartime. It's women. You know, it's a period piece. It's Tom Hanks. It's got Madonna, (laughs) Rosie O'Donnell. It's got everything. Um Scott Bill Pullman. <gasps> Babe. Mm. Yes. <laughs> that gasp. Yes. <laughs> it's got something for everybody. And I mean, I think we're going to talk a little bit about like, how did it age? How does it hold up? But there's a reason I think that it's often named one of the best baseball movies, one of the best sports movies, and maybe one of the best, you know, movie centering women. So I feel pretty connected to these characters, especially because the film starts with the older and younger sister living in Oregon on a farm and they leave home for the first time. And there's a bit of a rivalry between them because the younger sister really has this dream and wants to leave this town and wants to be special. And her older sister is effortlessly perfect. And I'm not saying that either of you are effortlessly perfect, but when you're a younger sister, it can seem that way sometimes. 
you know, as I've gotten older, I see how she, how Kit, the younger sister, is a little bit frustrating and annoying and should just kind of get over her insecurities and feel confident in her own talents. When I was younger and watching this movie, I felt totally justified. I, I wouldn't say this is a incredibly complex film. It's not. But I think some of the dynamics between the two sisters are pretty unusual for how women and sisters are often portrayed in movies. I think in sisterhood, you can be competitive with each other while respecting and admiring each other. The story of a talented older sister and a scrappy younger sister usually focuses entirely on that jealousy. Right. And what I love about this movie is that they are competitors. They're on they're teammates. And throughout the course of the film, we see each of them grow and change as sisters, but also as ball players. So let's break down these two main characters a little bit. One thing that I really liked on rewatch, especially now that I'm older than when I first saw this movie, right, when I was a kid, is <laughs> uh, Dottie. You know, this basically this idea that she and a lot of these other women have these very full adult lives, right, that they are dealing with outside of baseball. And a lot of them, you know, are married. They have husbands who are fighting in the war. They have heartbreaks and, you know, real uh, adult issues that they're dealing with. And it's not the center of the film, but it's there in the background. Yet this, you know, Kit, the younger sister, is just kind of starting to enter that phase of her life, right? Where she's starting to deal with some of this stuff. So it's really being expressed in terms of her relationship with her sister and navigating this all-female dynamic on this team being exposed to different women of different backgrounds from different places, like Madonna's character. Um, I can't remember her name. All, All the, the way, way May. May. All the way May, thank you. All the <laughs> so May, you know, there's that part where peaches are told that they might be shut down. And she says she doesn't want it, some guy to pay 10 cents to sweat gin all over her. Exactly. Which She's is not doing that again. <laughs> She's not going back to that life. <laughs> Which is a totally different, you know, experience and worry than most of these other women. We, we can talk about the diversity and the lack of it in this film, but I think one of the strengths is that it does give all of these characters these sort of hidden depths, like this hidden backstory. Yeah, and I think that a huge part of that is, from my perspective, is the fact that it's directed by a woman. Yeah. That Penny Marshall is behind, the, like, she is behind the scenes leading everything. And I think that if you had a man telling the story, that they might miss out on some of these pretty complex elements of what motivates these women to be there or to not be there. Don't you think that it helps that it's also based on real women? So you can actually look and see who were these women, who were these ball players. They were beauty queens. They were farm girls. They were city girls. Right. You didn't have to sit around and imagine it because you could look and see who was doing this and who wasn't doing this. Yeah. Right. The authenticity that this is an actual element of American history, of the history of baseball, that if it weren't for this movie, how many of us would actually know about it? Wouldn't know about it at all. I was a little kid when this movie came out, and I didn't know that women played professional baseball on any level. I had no clue. And I think most people didn't. Because didn't the Cooperstown exhibit come out at the same time as this movie? At the start and the end of the film, when they go in and see it, yes, the photographs are changed, and yes, it's the characters in the movie, but those women were actual players in the All-American 
like girls professional baseball league which is one of the most heartwarming parts of Mm. the whole film is that you actually get to see these women and that penny marshall like filmed them playing a game of baseball together what a gift to us as movie viewers that we get to see that it's so good Just beyond baseball, um, we don't really consider women in our discussion of sports in America in general. You know, when we talk about the great athletes, the great American athletes, who do we talk about? Right. We talk about uh, Michael Jordan and we talk about Tom Brady, Venus and Serena. I was just going to say, what about Serena Williams? Right. She's one of the greatest athletes of all time. She doesn't often come up first in these broader discussions. Right. How is that possible? Right. So this is something that is still really an issue uh, when we talk about sports. Right. It's still very much a masculine dominated field. The sports that make the most money, that draw the most viewers and fans are totally dominated by men on the player level, management level, all of that. I watched Moneyball last night. I think there were two women actors in the movie. Mm -hmm. One of them didn't really have any lines. They were both wives. Right. You know, they could have easily not been in there at all and wouldn't have changed the story. Yeah. And that's just that's what professional baseball looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Although now I think there's like a woman who's an, an umpire and a woman who's an assistant coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's talk more about these characters. Let's talk about Marla. Marla Hooch from Fort Collins, Colorado, <laughs> an amazing slugger. She grew up on the baseball diamond because her dad is a coach. She's just the butt of joke after joke after joke about her appearance. I found that really jarring and breaks my heart. Absolutely. But she does have some of the most meaningful relationships outside of the baseball team. She has her father and then she has um, Nelson. 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 Thank you. <laughs> the way he looks at her when she's singing in that jazz club is so good. Yeah, it's, it's adoring. Yeah. And the scene when she says goodbye to her father in the train <sighs> station. I have yet to watch this movie and not yes. cry at that part. Yeah. 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 So beautiful. Just the the pride. And she's worried about him, like who's going to take care of him. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. John Lovitz as the scout. I mean, he's gold, right? (laughs) He's gold. He's pretty good. (laughs) Every time just cracks me up when he's in the barnyard and he's like, someone get these chickens away from me. Left your heart of a leash. Like, it's just makes me laugh every time. Well, I heard that in the editing of this, he originally, when they shot the film, had a much larger role and had many more scenes and that they cut it out so that it was really only the jokes. They really wanted the punchlines to land and apparently they did. And on the test screenings, (laughs) the audience would just laugh and laugh anytime he opened his mouth. It's an editing trick. The women are the stars. This is a female-driven story, but also... The men are very well cast across the board, oh, right? I mean, David, David Strathairn. Yes, I love him. Also, uh, he was okay. Did you guys watch? Jesse and I watched Nomadland together. Yes, I watched Nomadland. Foxy, Foxy. He has always been a huge crush of mine since he played Edward R. Murrow in Good Night and Good Luck. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're getting niche on this pod. (laughs) No, he's foxy. He's foxy. Uh, Bill Pullman, obviously, one of the all-time hotties. All-time. Mr. President. (laughs) 
More like the dad in Casper. The brother in While You Were Sleeping. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's good. Uh, name a Bill Pullman role that's not scorching. Yeah. <laughs> not a single one. There's no answer. If there is, please don't write in and tell us because I don't want to see it. <laughs> we don't want to know. Oh, I can think of one. <gasps> oh, Mr. Wrong. Oh, with Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Erase okay, that What from are my they brain. both thinking? What are they thinking? He, just, he was just, he was so good in the 90s. He was just delicious. And he's delicious in this movie. When he shows up, you're like, okay, Dottie, I would leave too. <laughs> No, I wouldn't yes. go that far. Wouldn't go Look. that far. I would say, Bill Pullman, you understand why I need to stay. You like baseball. Come watch some of my games. Then why did he let her get all the way to Yellowstone Park before turning the car around? What is that? What is so that? The thing is, I give Bob a break. Bill Pullman gets a break from me on this one. Agreed. Because he's just come back from war. Yes. And <laughs> it's really Dottie who I have an it, issue with. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. Well, we don't have to get into that right now. But when he shows up in this movie, he just he he's he's like a dream when he shows up mm-hmm. in the room, right? It's just mm-hmm. yeah. and the two of them together, beautiful. Mm. But the two of them they just looked so adult and beautiful. Oh, just delicious, right? And it was like, man, I would love to see more movies that feature couples like that. Is it that they're both like they're both age appropriate? Like they're the same age? <laughs> could be that. And I think it's also that they seem self-assured. They communicate to a degree, right? The fact that she did come back and that it really was her own issues keeping her from finishing out the season. I feel like Dottie is a tragic character. (laughs) She has lived a life of unfulfilled dreams. (laughs) And that she has limited herself, that she set her her dreams too low that all she wanted to do was have a family and like be married to Bull Pullman like that's great but can't you also do all of these other things that you want to do deeply upset by Dottie she should have been a coach she should have been a coach I mean yeah it's but it's also the period and it's projection I mean I'm thinking also of Portrait of Lady on Fire where it's the opposite issue right where the relationship is the thing that um can't be reconciled with the rest of their needs in society, their dreams and these things, right? And I think that's just a fact of life sometimes. I was also mad at Dottie, and I am consistently mad at Dottie whenever she leaves right before the World Series starts and misses the first six games of a (laughs) seven-game World Series. That is wild. That is, like, stretching the imagination, you know, stretching my belief. Yeah. I think it's interesting that she doesn't see baseball as an all-important thing in her life. Even though she has all of this talent and she could be one of the greatest of all time, to her, she doesn't want to do this. Right. I don't know that she's necessarily a tragic figure. It might just be that she doesn't want what we would want if we were in her position. Yeah. And if we had her talent. (sighs) But I think that is one of the strengths of this film actually, is that it, it doesn't lean away from some of those complicated endings and elements of being a woman, you know, in society, especially in the, the mid-20th century. 
but just in general, right? These are tough questions that everyone has to deal with to a degree. Right. And I think that if you had a man directing this movie, I don't think he could even fathom that someone could not think that baseball was the most important thing in their life. And I like that we get a little bit of a complication and that she's being pulled in different directions. But, you know, it definitely does soften the blow that it's Bill Pullman (laughs) that that she spends all that time with. Right. I mean, come on. But she also doesn't seem at all torn. Yeah. I mean... I think if this movie were made today, that would be really drawn out and yes. and played up and made a center of the story. And it's really not. Yeah. She goes and then she comes back, but it's not over-dramatized. But I would say that she maybe makes decisions that in a that in a certain movies right that that don't embrace these complexities she wouldn't make right i think in some movies it'd be like yay she stays right and uh, finishes out the season and all this stuff her teammates who are left in the lurch without you know functionally their captain yeah who deserts them right before the world series sure I can't emphasize that enough. (laughs) And the fact that they go six games without her and then she just gets to walk right back on. I think a big part of that, too, is that compared to the relationships that develop between these other women, Dottie acts very much as as the captain, aloof, spending time with uh, Tom Hanks in the bus, that sort of stuff. Right. She separates herself a little bit, which, you know, in some cases would make some one less likely to just abandon the team <laughs> because they feel that sense of like leadership. But I don't know that she did. I think at the end of the day, it was really about her relationship with Kit. That was what was keeping her there. Mm. So, and the reason that she did it in the first place, right? So, Kit could do it. So, do you think she left because she was like, you know what, it'll be easier if Kit and I are not in the same field? Well, that's, yeah, absolutely, because Kit was so distraught. You know, and then she went to the other team and she was just so upset and she took it so personally. You know, I think Dottie really internalized that and took that seriously. I think she really cares about Kit and takes her passion for baseball seriously, but maybe didn't feel it herself in the same way, even though she was the better player. I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Okay. Do we think that at the end, game seven, the winning run, Kit bowls over Dottie at home plate? And then Dottie drops the ball. Do we think Dottie dropped the ball on purpose? Yes. No. I go back and forth. In my head, I think she drops the ball on purpose. But when I look at the scene, it doesn't really seem like she does. I think it could go either way. Yeah, I think it's ambiguous. But in my heart, I feel like she did it on purpose. Why? Because she was too strong of a player. And I think that at the end of the day, she didn't care about winning. You know, she didn't care about the Peaches winning. And she made a decision to give Kit what she wanted more than anything else, which was to win. To be the best player out there, to be better than Dottie. Because I don't think that anything Dottie really does in this film is for the team. I think it's ultimately for her family. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. If Kit hadn't been able to hit the the ball, that would have been Kit's problem. And then they would have won, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I love that in like the final at bat, it's the winning run and Dottie goes up to Ellen Sue, who's pitching and says, throw mm-hmm. her the high fast ones like she like she's going to try and hit it, but she can't. Mm-hmm. She can't lay off of them, but she also can't hit them. So that's what you need to throw her. So it seemed like Dottie was setting her up so that the peaches would win and she would strike out. Sure, sure. 
Which is why when she hits it, I want to believe that Dottie would, based on her calling those pitches, that Dottie was giving Kit exactly what she would give any other player. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why I want to believe that it's just that Kit knocked the ball out of her hand and Kit won. And maybe I just have solidarity with the little sister and I just want her to (laughs) achieve her dreams on her own. Well, see, I really like that, too, because that fits into broader sports movie narratives, right? About the underdog becoming better and learning skills, right? But not necessarily. It's not necessarily about winning. It's about demonstrating your growth. Right. The, the character's yes. growth through the sport. So I, a lot of these movies do it. Like Jesse mentioned, Rocky is a good example where it's not really about being victorious. Right. It's about perseverance and growth um, or, you know, spoilers, the end of Ted Lasso. And I think that that's a really compelling story. And it's something that sports movies can capture in a really compelling way. Right. Because it's so immediate and um, high stakes to a degree you really get into the moment with these characters, right? The way that the baseball scene, the end of A League of Their Own is filmed. Like you're really like, wow, you know, each move you're watching, you're waiting. So Frankie. Yes. As the middle sister, do you feel more like Dottie or more like Kit? Do you relate more to the older sister in this movie or the younger sister? <sighs> I I feel more like Dottie. Yeah. The, the central dynamic between these two characters is that Kit feels like she has to prove herself in opposition to her sister and her sister's example. And Dottie just loves her sister and is trying to support her, but also, you know, living this, you know, more adult life. And I think that maybe as a... (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like... (laughs) That's such a, like, almost universal, you know, thing. And it's not about being you know, little sister, middle sister, older sister. I think it's about the younger versus older dynamic. And I think maybe with Jesse, I feel more like Kit. But in general, I feel more like like Dottie. Maybe I'm maybe I'm May, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When May is painting Kit's nails red in the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. I always think of Frankie at that scene. <laughs> That's so lovely. I love that. I love all of the bus scenes in this movie. And what was the one? I just rewatched this yesterday and I don't know why I can't remember the characters' names. <laughs> but she's she's learning how to read. Oh, and Shirley Baker. Baker. Thank you. And she's reading the smut. Like <laughs> what a great great scene. Yes. Love those little moments. I mean, this movie is just rich with those little moments. Well, Shirley Baker is played by Anne Cusack, sister of Joan Cusack and John Cusack. Good factoid. <laughs> and I read that a lot of the ballplayers were from farms and rural areas. And if you think about it, at this time, they would have grown up during the Great Depression. So they wouldn't, they would have been working. They wouldn't have been going to school. Yeah. So a lot of them did learn to read on buses. And another thing, I mean, in terms of this theme, it's not just biological sisters. This is a sisterhood between all of these women. Especially Doris Murphy. Yes. And all the way May, Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell. What a great friendship. Just so good. This was Rosie O'Donnell's first movie. Wow. She's good. When she throws the picture of the guy out of the bus. I mean, what a moving scene. Finally saying I'm worth more. 
because of these experiences that she had with these women, right? The empowerment that she felt. What I like about this movie, too, is that the female empowerment comes in those moments and it feels very earned, right? It's not just, yay, girl boss, sort of like a a movie. There's a really weird scene in the bar where Shirley Baker goes up and, like, takes the, what's it called? What's the, what's the thing that covers? Oh, a tablecloth. <laughs> she takes the tablecloth and she puts it around her shoulders and she's like, oh, I'm cold. Like, what? Relatable. <laughs> That's some quarantine vibes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be doing that because we don't know how to behave in restaurants anymore. <laughs> and like Kit's walking around with this guy who's got his shirt totally unbuttoned and like bare chested yeah. yeah like there's so much un like so many other things happening in this bar scene that do not get discussed <laughs> it's so crazy and there's some great throwaway lines in that scene right when rosie o'donnell is telling them about how may had been a dancer at her dad's club yeah and how she was the bouncer yep yep <laughs> and some of that feels like they just let rosie o'donnell talk and hang out <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, the two of them had probably my favorite, (laughs) favorite relationship in the whole movie. That's not to say I I didn't really enjoy it and uh, get a lot from the Kit, Dottie sisterhood. But I think that, um, yeah, Doris and May are so good. (laughs) Like, what's the line about, what's the line about, uh, you think there's somebody who hasn't seen your bosoms? (laughs) Love it. Apparently, Madonna was a bit difficult to work with. You don't say. (laughs) Notoriously easygoing, cordial uh, Madonna. (laughs) When they were shooting, they had all these unpaid extras sitting in the stands. And Rosie O'Donnell would do stand-up for them. And Tom Hanks would do little puppet shows for them. (laughs) And... Other cast members would sing Madonna songs for them because Madonna refused to perform for the unpaid extras. Oh, wow. <laughs> and apparently she wrote like a handwritten letter to a photographer friend in New York City saying that there were no beautiful men in Chicago. What? What about Bill Pullman? <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, you know, that all tracks with my understanding of Madonna. But she's beautiful in this film. I mean, everyone just is beautiful, glowing, you know, and it seems like they're all having fun with it. So you can't really tell if if there's any discord. Yeah. I mean, I think Gina Davis is just stunning in this movie. And I think I've said this like five times already. She's so She's so stunning. Mm-hmm. I just, she, I mean, you just look at her. And you, that's like in the 40s at that time, they would have called her like a handsome woman. She's just beautiful. Right. And she's very, she's very like severe. She has, like, these very strong features, but they're just beautiful. Like, her cheekbones, her eyebrows, just gorgeous. I think she's just stunning. Her jaw. Oh, my God, her jaw. She just has this confidence, right? She doesn't take up the screen. She's not taking attention away from anybody, but she's just... Her presence is always felt. I think she's just so good in this movie. Yes. And all of the women in this movie are actually playing baseball. That's fun. And they did, like, a baseball camp before the movie started. I love that they're all actually playing. And that the only time that Gina Davis had to have a stunt double was for the catch where she slides into a split. 
and Gina Davis does the split, but she couldn't do the slide into it. <laughs> Fair enough. I fall in love with her every time I watch this movie. She's so, she's just, uh, she's just beautiful, you know? And when you watch her with Tom Hanks, too, you know he's thinking the same thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Let's talk about Tom Hanks in this movie. Let's do it. Tom Hanks was not originally going to be cast in this role. It was originally going to be Jim Belushi. <laughs> Interesting. Which is a whole nother vibe. That's a whole different movie. Whole different movie. Yep. And instead, they got Tom Hanks, America's Sweetheart, <laughs> in 1992. So what were his most recent movies before this? Let's let's triangulate where this yep. is in Tom Hanks' career. <laughs> so I would I would argue that this movie is the first time that Tom Hanks became America's sweetheart. <gasps> but he's not sweet in this movie at all. I know, I know he's not. But I think that this movie made him become America's sweetheart. Because wow. Jimmy Dugan is a marshmallow in the center, right? Like mm. he's like, he's a good guy, fundamentally. He just gets in his way, mm -hmm. right? Can we agree on that? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the year before, Tom Hanks did Bonfire of the Vanities and Joe versus the Volcano, a severely underrated comedy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you say so. The following year, we got two foundational Hanks films. Philadelphia and Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle, which also features Rosie O'Donnell and Bill Pullman. That's right. Okay. The 1994, <laughs> we get Forrest Gump. Before League of Their Own, yeah. we're in the 80s. Yeah, you got Big, Turner and Hooch. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Big are fine. Big is when he became America's sweetheart. That's also a Penny Marshall movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the filmography right now. I, I agree with your take on this. I think A League of Their Own may not be when he became America's Sweetheart, but it's when he started the run that made him Tom Hanks. Like, this is the, the run of movies that made him Tom Hanks. A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, You've all killer, no filler. Did anyone have a better 90s? This is awesome. <laughs> It's interesting that this is the film that kicks that off because it, the character, Jimmy Dugan, is not the Tom Hanks uh, mold. No. But if you think about how different he even looks in this movie, he looks like he did, did in the 2000s. He looks like someone who was like severely aged and like he definitely changed his body for this role. It, this is also more in line with his Saving Private Ryan character yeah. of like a little bit like not super lovable yeah. on the surface, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not the burbs. It's not bachelor party or whatever. Like it's none of those really silly 80s comedies. Yeah, this is no money pit. This is <laughs> He's a complex character who is an alcoholic who has a knee injury, who was one of the great baseball players and prematurely ended his career from his own poor decisions and from alcoholism. And he gets offered to manage this team by Mr. Harvey of Harvey Bars, played by Gary Marshall, which is modeled on Wrigley and Wrigley Gum. That scene where they're talking and he's being offered the team, that's a great introduction to a character. Yes. Because Tom Hanks... He, at least, especially now, if you're watching it, you're expecting him to be charming and lovely and wholesome. 
and he's almost a fall down drunk. <laughs> and all of his jokes are a little off color and he's a little bit gruff. And then the first time that the entire team meets him is one of <laughs> the iconic scenes of the film. When he walks into the locker room and he pees for, what, 53 seconds? <laughs> and it's really just Penny Marshall in the stall with a hose <laughs> pouring water into a toilet. <laughs> and so no one knew how long she was going to go for. And so she just kept going for the laughs. Movie magic. Like, this is a good lead up to Philadelphia for him because mm-hmm. he has all these comedies. Yep. A little bit of little bit of drama. This is the first like harder character before you get like full drama in Philadelphia. Which I rewatched not too long ago, Philadelphia. Man, what a performance. What a performance. It's wild to think that he goes from a league of their own where he's good to Philadelphia a year later. Right? I mean the man's got range. He's the greatest of all time. Um, I don't know how Chet Hanks happened, and I feel like we also should address that because that is the elephant in the room on this podcast today. <laughs> Before we depart from the Tom Hanks discussion, we have to talk about the line, the quote from A League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. I mean, that's an iconic line, right? Just on its own. People know that line. They don't know the movie. But I think it's really interesting in the context of the development of the character. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a character who is plagued by his alcoholism, you know, foul temper, misogynist, right? Sexual harasser. But by the end of the movie, you can see his heart grow. The ending that he gets in the film, right, which is that he passed away before the exhibit at the Baseball Hall of Fame. One of the scenes that stands out to me in terms of Tom Hanks' acting in this film is when the one woman gets the note that her husband has been killed in combat. Betty Betty Spaghetti. Spaghetti. Thank you. I know. I can't remember the name. (laughs) Betty Spaghetti is played by Tracy Reiner, daughter of director Penny Marshall. She's great in that scene. I don't know. It's very subtle, right? This is not a character who's going to be fully redeemed in the end. But those little moments, I think, show growth. It's almost like Kit and Dottie represent the two sides of that journey, right? Kit is the more like adolescent. uh, I need I have a need to be recognized. I have a need to be validated. All of this feels like a personal attack. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Annie, you're not Kit, so grow up. (laughs) (laughs) And Dottie represents the more mature, realized self that doesn't do things for the external validation of it. Yeah, sure. Totally. Uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But then the growth with Dugan is similar, right? He starts off with being resentful of the end of his playing career to at the end coaching these women and doing these things, even though he knows ultimately that, you know, baseball is going to be back and this is, this isn't going to be a long-term successful prospect probably. Right. But he does it for the game itself. Am I reading too much into a league of their own right now? (laughs) No, I think you've got it. I mean, I think he 
did go on a journey where he came to see the players not as girls, but as athletes. Yeah. Like as ball players. And he saw what they could do and how they they loved the game and yeah. he loved the game and they were playing the game, right? Like yeah. it's not some watered down version of it. But it's it's like a it's a development that I think is represented in Kit and Dottie as a conflict. The beginning and end of this sort of journey that is developed through his character. But I don't think we see any resolution or journey between Kit and Dottie. It's still there. Like, the last game of the World Series, Kit is, like, crying and sniveling into her uniform as she comes up to the plate. I totally agree. There's no resolution between their conflict in that sense. I agree. Right. But that and through his development, there's a sense of a resolution. But if the other conflict in the movie and if the reason we watched it is because of a sister relationship, their sister relationship, like, I mean, when we see them at the beginning, right, and they're present day 1992, <laughs> when, like 70 year olds, right? And Dottie is like hemming and hawing about whether she even wants to go to the opening at the museum and her daughter has to convince her to go and she's like you'll get to see Aunt Kit like you never get to see her and Dottie's like oh well she'll have that husband Frank of hers her daughter's like he's always so nice to you they're still beefing they're still beefing (laughs) (laughs) like yes 45 years later they are still beefing but they're so happy they're when so they happy to see each other. They embrace. Who isn't happy to see each other when they hug? And Kit has a granddaughter named Dottie. So clearly, like, Dottie is important to her children. Some of these issues that we're talking through are also just the time when the movie came out and how relationships used to be before the Internet. I mean, if you lived in different parts of the country, you didn't see each other. You didn't have a close relationship. And in some ways, it would be frozen in certain dynamics, right? And that was one of the central things about the end of the 1940s section of the film is that they're no longer going to live near each other. They're going to now have diverging journeys. Very sad. But they still love each other. But they might not get that resolution because of that, right? That resolution that we might crave. But that's very realistic. Yeah, it's a good thing we have Zoom, guys. Yeah, exactly. Annie, are you crying right now? <laughs> no, rude. She's no. she's mad because we're <laughs> trashing on Kit and she self-identifies as Kit. <laughs> so. But I also, so here's the thing. See, I feel like Kit, but I also have enough of an ego to feel like Dottie. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> I, I mean, I just think that the sisterly relationship... They hinted at continued beef, and that upsets me on repeat watching when I realize that, you know, that they do have diverging journeys, but that there's always something a little bit there still. Like that never, that fundamental thing, maybe it is because the distance never lets them fully resolve that ever again, but that's just always there. And, you know, I know that that happens in families, but that's not what I want in my movie. Like in my movie, I want everything to be amazing at the end, (laughs) like everyone to be happy and like, to resolve these conflicts. Sure. I, but I think it is powerful that there's gray space in these, you know, in this development, in the conclusion of this film. You know, I don't know that if this movie was made today, that this is necessarily how it would end. Because I think audiences today 
for a movie like this would crave what you're describing, Jesse, which is totally fair, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I disagree. I, I feel it, too. But I think there is something really powerful about how it ends, that bittersweet feeling. Like, I cry at the end. You know, and in some ways, having that complexity and having unfinished business and having tension and unfulfilled dreams and these questions is more honoring of these women and their real lived experiences, right? Than to have it all tied up in a bow, you know? And I think that is one of the reasons that this movie lives on in some ways. As Hollywood as it is, Mm -hmm. as star-studded as this cast is, there's a level of authenticity that makes feeling sentimental about this movie. I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah. I just can't get over Dottie leaving and not coming back to the seventh (laughs) game in the World Series. (laughs) After all of that, after everything, (laughs) after everything. Well, how do we rank this as a baseball movie? The depiction of the sport. Yeah, I think this is a great baseball movie, especially knowing that they played baseball for weeks Mm. training for this, that they played actual baseball games. Yeah, that bruise that Alice has, Alice from Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they show her icing the bruise and they take a photo of it. Like, that was a real injury that that actress acquired. Jeez. There are a ton of women on the field that we don't get to actually spend time with. And one of them is the pitcher for the racing bells before Kit is traded to the team. Her name is Janet Jones. And she's the wife of Wayne Gretzky, the Hall of Fame ice hockey player. I spotted Taya Leone. Yes, so Taya Leone is also the first baseman for the Racing Bells. Wow. Julie Croto, I think is her name. She is also playing in the background, and she is the first woman to play men's NCAA baseball. Wow. And she coached men's NCAA Division I baseball. And she's one of two women to ever play in a major league baseball sanctioned like winter league these are real baseball players we got going in the background and they had to prove that they could play in order to be cast that's so cool i think that's awesome i don't know enough background on other baseball films but this seems like this is a pretty high standard you know i i wasn't sold before but after everything you just said i think this is the greatest baseball movie ever made (laughs) 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 no joke no joke i think it is (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of baseball in this movie, and it also captures what is fun about baseball. I love when Jimmy Dugan and Dottie do, like, the conflicting signals. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. It's so simple, but it's just the whole thing is so well edited and well acted. I just, delicious. Love it. It's so funny. Think about that all the time. It's great. (laughs) This movie finds ways to really engage with baseball and like the little little elements and, and things of, of baseball in funny ways like the sequence where they're doing all the crazy catches to get the media attention that kind of stuff is just great you know it's really fun or when Marla Hooch you know is trying out in the beginning I mean all those little moments I think are just really delightful yes when we first meet Marla Hooch and how we aren't told that she's a switch hitter Yes. And just the groan <laughs> through the gymnasium. Oh, I so love good. that. <laughs> I also do love Moneyball, but I would agree that there's less baseball in it. I, I think it's a good movie. Yeah, I agree. This is a this is the best baseball movie. I mean, also The Sandlot. I already mentioned that, and I feel like it almost goes without saying that The Sandlot is, you know, one of the best. <laughs> uh, a League of Their Own. 
Hot damn. Yeah. I, I, I'm shocked to hear so many of the players or so many of the actors were players in real life and that they had to train like that. I think that really takes it to a new level. I mean, a lot of other people were considered for these roles. Deborah Winger was originally supposed to play Dottie and then she fell through. And then Demi Moore was considered. No. No, no, Mm-mm. no, no. But I also can't imagine anyone other than Gina Davis as Dottie Hansen. Yeah, and she had just she had just the right amount of chemistry with Tom Hanks, right? Like that friendly sort of relationship. And she has hot big sister energy. It just she's perfect. She's perfect. <laughs> okay, let's talk about that deleted scene. Yes. What deleted scene? So the studio really wanted the characters of Dottie Henson and Jimmy Dugan to end up together <gasps> or to somehow complicate Dottie's relationship with her husband. And so they shot a scene where Tom Hanks and Gina Davis kiss. No, I don't like that. Neither did the screening audience. Yeah, no, I love when I, I also love that about this film, that there is a complex dynamic between a adult man and adult woman that doesn't have that right in the story. And I think that's also pretty rare. That would just ruin the movie for me if they had kept that in. So I'm really glad they didn't. It tested really poorly. And then remember the scene after Betty Spaghetti learns that her husband is dead? Yeah. And then Gina Davis is crying hysterically in her bedroom. So apparently that was not supposed to be about Betty Spaghetti's loss. It was supposed to be about the fact that she regrets she had kissed Jimmy. And then Bill Pullman walks in. Mm, That is garbage. But I think that that puts her leaving immediately into better context. But it's also weird. And I think... I don't know. I just find that whole thing so weird that she leaves right before the World Series. She also leaves. There's no, like, she doesn't tell Jimmy that she's leaving. He has to see her packing up the car. I mean, then that makes more sense. But it's just such a strange, it's just so strange. Well, it's shocking that there's no outrage from anyone on the team because Mm -hmm. that's what we would expect. And we don't get that. Yeah, it does feel like there's a missing scene. That's not like a kiss between Jimmy and Dottie, but like a scene that the team finding out sort of a thing. That is maybe something that's missing that would make the movie stronger. Because maybe if she had been there for those six games, they wouldn't be going into a seventh game. (laughs) Like maybe she'd been there the whole time, then they would have cleaned it up in four games. Yeah. I don't know. I just find that so infuriating to watch. It just feels like such a big gaping hole and just doesn't make any sense. Leader on a team to leave at such a clutch moment just doesn't make any sense. And from such an understanding and loving husband. Oh, of course she immediately packs up the car and goes. I would take my red pencil and I would circle it and put a post-it on there and be like, please rethink this. This doesn't work. The only things that work for me flawlessly are Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell and John Lovitz when he's not talking about how women look. (laughs) There are all these other people in the universe of the story and none of them are saying, oh, hey, Dottie, maybe you should slow it down a little bit. Like, just take a minute. I think one of the weaknesses of the film is that the last act is rushed. The whole part after, like, when Bill Pullman arrives through the end of the World Series is pretty rushed. What did it add to the story to not have her there? To show that the team can survive without her? Mm -hmm. It's because you need to have the moment. (laughs) 
she's down and she's catching and then she lifts up her mask. Like, you need that reveal. You need something in the end to make it seem like all might be lost. And at the last second, she has to come back. You know, I I mean, I get it. I don't like it. I don't support it. (laughs) But it is this movie. And I love this movie. So I gotta, I gotta accept it. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of flaws in this movie. Yeah. We got to hit on some of the problematics of an old fave. Oh, yeah. Almost 30 years old now. One of the big blind spots of this movie is race. This is an all-white cast. And that they give us a moment where a black woman picks up a ball from the edge of the field and throws it in. And she throws it really far and really hard. And it's a great throw. And then nods. And then walks away. And she doesn't get a line. She doesn't get any. That's it. That's all we get. And it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. Clearly, they're trying to do a nod to the fact that going off of the historical reality, that it was an entirely white league. There were no black players. Yeah. But another issue is that later, when they are at the opening of the special exhibit at Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame, for their league, they say that they're the first women ever inducted into the Hall of Fame, which is not true. (laughs) The first woman inducted into the Hall of Fame was a sports executive for the Newark Eagles, a franchise in the Negro Leagues. Wow. And her name was Effa Louise Manley. (laughs) That is totally missing. That's not a part of this narrative whatsoever. And it doesn't even come close to it. But the fact that they call them the first women. That's enraging. There's no way in this story, I think, to tell a story with a diverse cast because that wasn't what happened, right? So you can't just tell a story about like an integrated team. You can't do that. But you can handle it with a lot more nuance and sensitivity. That's so insulting, (laughs) you know? And it's the sort of thing you see pop up in these movies all the time. This was 1992, and if the studio is like, Like, I'm wondering how this decision was made to include this moment and think that it was sufficient. Because it was 1992. I mean, Mm -hmm. there isn't even a hint at sexual diversity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And everything that I read, it said that that unnamed woman with no lines was supposed to be Mamie Peanut Johnson, who was a pitcher in the Negro Leagues. Once Major League Baseball became integrated... All of the best players in the Negro Leagues went and joined Major League Baseball teams. Then the Negro Leagues started to let women play, and they also started adding like tricks and like clowning routines and things like that to try and draw more spectators. But yeah, there were several women players in the Negro Leagues who were like fantastic, amazing players, and that's supposed to be a little nod to to them. And apparently one of them, I think it was Mamie Johnson, like she did show up to try to try out and she wasn't allowed. I would like to see more sports movies set in contemporary times that tell the stories of people of diverse background. When I was thinking and and looking at lists of baseball movies, I was shocked that there weren't more big movies about like Latino baseball players. How is that not happening? That is such a central part of the story of American baseball. Why isn't that being told? And so I think, you know, A League of Their Own is an important movie, especially for when it came out, but it's not the future of representation, right? It's not. Yeah, I think it's really important to talk about these things. I mean, that scene where she throws the ball, it's so, 
<laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, really? I almost wish they hadn't included that. feels like there's a scene like that in all of these sports movies. Like a wink and a nod. Like, yeah, we know black people did this too. <laughs> Let's see more movies that tell these stories. 42 was great. With Chadwick Boseman, who was fantastic as Jackie Robinson. The movie's okay. It's not the best movie, but he is so good my favorite moment in that movie is when he calls his wife and proposes to her over the phone yeah (laughs) yep uh so there's a league of their own tv series that's coming out i have no idea what (laughs) stage it's in interesting but the photos that i've seen do show women of color in the cast great i don't know how that's going to be incorporated or what the deal with that is but that's definitely something I'm excited for. It. I think it's also going to be a comedy. It stars um, Darcy Carden and, and Abby Jacobson. Oh, well, you know, then they might have some representation of diverse sexuality then, because I would be really interested to mm. see that because that's a huge part of this story of, I mean, women's history, but I mean, specifically in, in sports, right? I think that people shy away from that, but it's an important part of that history. That documentary about the two women... It's called A Secret Love. It's about Terry Donahue, who was in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. I think she was a pitcher. And when she was in the league, she met her lifelong partner, Pat Henschel. It's about their relationship and how they didn't tell their families until they were in their 80s. Wow. That they were partners. But it's also an interesting look at like aging, making arrangements mm. for like failing health and what happens in the end of your life mm. but yeah i mean even in the the movie when they had the newscaster at the beginning she was talking about confused sexuality right we hear that so often when it comes to women in sports yeah and especially even now with all of the laws targeting trans children in sports absolutely but i think sports movies are great arena to explore some of these questions because sports themselves are reflect these issues in our society right and they always have they're all it's it's inherently political and it's also a great dramatic narrative for exploring human behavior right all of these things and i am surprised that we're not seeing more movies tv shows that really use sports in that way Are there other things that we want to talk about today about A League of Their Own? Yeah. I mean, we could talk about Miss Cuthbert getting abused and harassed the whole movie for jokes, which I found to be upsetting. The chaperone. Yeah. I mean, that didn't age well. (laughs) When the bus driver quits and then she chases after him Mm -hmm. and then he throws a handful of dirt in her face. It's horrible. And then she gets on the bus and she wakes up Jimmy Dugan and then he kisses her. And then he like screams and like rinses his mouth out with alcohol. It's just That's like right. it was horrible. And then yeah. that night they poison her so that she's vomiting. Like this poor woman. She's just doing her job. Yeah, that was unpleasant. Yeah. That was really unpleasant. Yeah, I mean I think if this was to be remade today, and I guess they're updating it, rebooting it in some form. The main things that would have to change would have to be a serious grappling with race. Ideally, seriously, you know, addressing sexuality. 
Marla's character, what was her name, Miss Cuthbert? I would also say they would have to do more to address Jimmy Dugan or whatever character is in his role. Sort of his his misogyny, right? Instead of making just a joke a lot of the time, they would have to more seriously delve into that. And Dottie would have some splaining to do if she tried to pull the same nonsense. She's a girl boss, all right? She doesn't have to explain anything to anyone. <laughs> I want to say before the end of this episode that we kind of have to thank our mom and our Nana for why we love this movie because they showed it to us so much. And I, we got to call out how when, whenever someone says grace at the end, our mother doesn't just say amen. She says play ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so do we have recommendations, ladies, for further viewing, further reading, further consideration of what we talked about today? Sure. I'll go first. The last thing that I did before the pandemic hit was take a trip to Kansas City, Missouri. (laughs) That is where the Negro National League was founded in 1920, and it was home to the Kansas City Monarchs. And it's now home to the Negro League's Baseball Museum, which is privately funded, nonprofit. Really enjoyed the tour there, and I highly recommend it if you're in Kansas City or looking for a baseball destination trip go to Kansas City. It was a lot of fun. That's such a great recommendation. I cannot wait until I can go to Kansas City and go there. <laughs> it also has a World War I museum. Like, it was, <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, I had no idea about the history of the Negro Leagues and particularly women as players in the Negro Leagues. It was really, really fascinating. And, you know, obviously it's the history of America. It's not just the history of baseball. It was a really great exhibit about social history, sports history. Fantastic. Frankie? I have two approaches to my recommendations, as usual. So I'm going to start with Ken Burns Baseball, which... Yes. It's one of my favorites. I think it's streaming on Amazon. I'm not certain, but I think it is. And I want to specifically recommend Inning 5, which is called Shadow Ball, which spotlights the Negro Leagues. So if you can't get to Kansas City, (laughs) watch this episode. um, Or if you're going to go to Kansas City, watch it before you go. It's great and has interviews with players. Second, I'm, I'm just going to recommend a couple of movies that I love that feature women in sports. Movies that I think really complicate how we see gender and women in sports. So this might these movies might not be for everybody. That's fine. First of all, I'm going to go with She's the Man. Amanda Bynes. <laughs> which is just a delightful film. You know, maybe hasn't aged great either, but it's fun. It's funny. It plays with gender. It plays with all these aspects of of sports, but it's also just, it's fun. And Amanda Bynes is just, you know, amazing in this movie. Um, And Channing Tatum is in it. And David Cross. (laughs) Second, I'm going to recommend I, Tanya. So good. I love this movie, and I think it also plays with maybe the intersection of gender and class in sports. You also love Sebastian Stan. Look, we're trying to wrap up, so don't get me started. (laughs) I love Sebastian Stan. He is horrifyingly attractive as Galuli and Itanya. Like, I just, you know, it's the the, the mustache. I just, 
No. He's, no. no one likes no. it. <laughs> I love I love him so much. Yes, he's in this movie. That is not why I'm recommending it, because really Margot Robbie is the star. But it's a great cast all around. Great movie. Well, I think that that also highlights that if you were going to remake A League of Their Own, you would also talk about class. Yes. Because they did a great job showing the diversity of all the ballplayers, but there were no conflicts, really. I mean, there were differences and they highlighted the differences, but it didn't lead to any conflicts between the girls that we saw. In fact, we saw almost no conflict between the girls. Except the sisters. Except the sisters. In reality, there definitely were, you know, class-based tensions. I mean, yeah, Jesse, you mentioned just literacy rates, you know, that in this movie they use that as a bonding exercise. But in general, there certainly were, you know, class tensions on that bus. Are you kidding me? And I was also thinking about Evelyn and Stillwell Angel. Any criticism of her as a mother just like rolled off of her back. Yeah. But also no one went after her super hard. Right. And if social media has shown anything, it's that women will tear down other women yeah. <laughs> for their mothering skills. Yeah, like, absolutely. And I think I, Tanya, de- deals with some of these issues, right? How media, other women the system, tear down women, right? And that's not to say that Tanya Harding is a hero, but I think that this movie brings up a lot of really important questions Yeah, about how she's been portrayed in that whole incident with Nancy Kerrigan, so. Well, and then go listen to your Wrong About podcast <laughs> series on Tanya Harding, which will blow your mind. <laughs> All right, Annie, take us home. What are your recommendations? Not to put words in Annie's mouth, but she recommended it to me. So I'm just going to say Annie recommends Ted Lasso. <laughs> She, over the holiday, sat me down and made me watch all of Ted Lasso in a day or two. And I gotta say, it does scratch a lot of the itch of wanting really thoughtful and diverse representation of a sports story and how sports can be used to explore greater things about, you know, human relationships and and the human experience. So, yeah, I love that show. It's wholesome. It's beautiful. It tackles a lot of different things. And it's it's a feel good show. It's a feel good show about being an American in London. So (laughs) I feel it. (laughs) I had all these ideas before you guys said things. And now all I really want to say is go support the Washington Nationals. Root for the Nats, guys. But, you know, Trey Turner's looking good. Max Scherzer's looking good. These are all people that are on Annie's fantasy baseball team. This is true. Yeah, so that's my recommendation. This was a great baseball movie, a great sister movie. If you have a sister, if you don't have a sister, go watch a baseball game. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments or any hot fantasy baseball tips for us, send them over and we'll include them in the next free viewing episode. For more information about our references and recommendations, check out the episode pages on our website, cinemasilopod.com. Keep up the conversation and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cinemasilopod or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time in the silo.